Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, you are welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown with two raspberry-looking middle-aged guys who just got done exercising. Uh, how you doing, Alan? Are, are, are you uh, ready yeah. to kill over like I am? <laughs> this, this exercise lark is overrated, I have to say. <laughs> tell, tell me about it. I'm just back from being out of town for a, a few days, and um, I felt it was one of those guilt workouts. I've, I've been such a, de, such a debacle with my eating and drinking over the last few days. I, I felt guilted into getting it out of the way. Um, having some nice weather here locally finally as well. So uh, outside to enjoy it before we, we record here. Um, so yeah, sec- second one of the week end is out uh, being a productive member of society. Unlike Alan and myself, just kind of slagging off here on a, on a Friday. Um, so we wanted to revisit a little bit on the Aberdeen game. I think um, in our, before we went live here, Alan, you expressed some, uh, desire to maybe provide an update to some of your analysis and comments that you made from earlier in the week when uh, you and Enda were were uh, rude enough to record something without me. Well, we'll keep going off on your jollies, but uh, <laughs> yeah, listen. So the, the 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 bit we did earlier in the week, I'll be completely honest with you. When I did the uh, Aberdeen game, I was when we did the podcast. Sorry, I was halfway through doing my you know my routine of capturing all the data myself, analysing it, sort of deep dive type of thing. Uh, so I'd really only got up to half time. So most of my comments were kind of based on what happened in the first half. And, and the first half was was pretty grisly, um, really in terms of um, what happened in transition to Celtic shape uh, was was really nasty. And I put a tweet out about um, you know McGregor, which I, I kind of, I don't normally do that. And the reason I don't do it is because normally when I watch it back without the emotion taken away, I usually feel different about things. Um, and actually, you know, so apologies to Callum McGregor, because although absolutely he got caught a couple of times, um, the the reason that Celtic were in trouble weren't necessarily his fault. I mean, he was actually been put into a really bad situation. Um, so in a nutshell, then, what I was really referring to in that first half against Aberdeen was... Um, there were three moments in the game, and you might think, well, that's not very many, but bear with me, where Celtic lost the ball in a central position. Now, two of those were Callum McGregor, and rule number one of a pivot of a number six of the holding midfielder, whatever you want to call that role, is you do not, you've got to be safe in position. You do not give the ball away. It's actually worse to give the ball away in a central position sometimes, most of the time, actually, than it is, even if, it, even if it's in, in the opposition half sometimes, than it is to give it away wide. 
right? Um, because the, the 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 space and the options that a team has got breaking and transition are just you know massively massively more. So three times in that first half, uh, once McGregor lost it on halfway, uh, that was in the very early in the game. Aberdeen broke down the right, and they ended up with a free kick just outside the box. Then a few minutes later, Abada lost it after a Celtic corner, I think it was. And again, Aberdeen were able to break, and it was immediately three on three. And I think they butchered it and nothing came of it. And then just before half time, McGregor lost it again, right on the edge of his own box. And again, from that, they got a really good shot away. And then from the resulting corner, they got another chance. So that's the impact of losing the ball centrally. Um, and the reason for it, not piling in on Carl McGregor, is is we so we talk about or you might have seen people talk about rest defense right so what rest defense means is it's actually quite literal it's not very technical what it means is, is if you think about Postacoglu and the way he set his team up you typically had five players that were pushed right on and they were the ones leading the charge leading the attack which meant you had five players who may well have been supplementing the attack but um think of them as the ones that were kind of holding the fort. So that's the rest. So what, how, how are the rest lined up when you lose the ball is the question. And that's your that's your rest defence. And again, to Postacoglu, we had a little kind of two, three wedge in the centre of the pitch. So that if we lost the ball, we probably sort of, you know gave away the flanks, but we usually had the middle secured. What's happened in that first half against Aberdeen was when we lost the ball centrally, um, you had the full-backs high and wide. You had... O'Reilly and Turnbull pushed on, and you had Callum McGregor all on his little uh, trying to help basically, you know, repel the you know the, uh, the charge of the animal, which is exactly what used to happen to Scott Brown <laughs> under Neil Lennon, right? And it's just a really shitty situation to be in. So you just don't want to be in that situation. Now, what I didn't say on Monday, and, and this is all setting you up, James, for your own view on this, really is that in the second half, Rodgers identified this. So he took Turnbull off. Turnbull tends to favour the spaces are more around sort of outside the box, higher up, that sort of 10 space, if you like. And he brought on Hatati. And if you look at Hatati's kind of heat map and activity map, he actually played very close to McGregor. And that just immediately made it more solid. And then O'Reilly pulled back more to the right and he dropped a bit and it just became a tighter three. So... That was good. They saw the problem. They did something about it. And actually, what then happened is McGregor controlled the game. I think he made something like 25 passes in the first half. But in the second, he made 39, which is like 14 more than any other player. So he, he actually got the, he actually was given the time and the space because he had that support. He had that coverage. He was able, then able to control the game. And Celtic actually, I think, only gave up about 0.2 xG in that second half. They, they, they basically shut Aberdeen down pretty effectively, apart from maybe one one chance near the end. So that was that. Was, so I wanted to give that full story. I was probably wrong if I was piling it on McGregor. He wants to play and he shouldn't, um, but he was given no support. And when he was given support, we saw the Callum McGregor that we all recognised running and controlling the game. But that 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 is one impact of tweaking that Rogers has done but credit to him he saw that and he changed it for the second half yeah I, I uh while I was away I listened to the the show from earlier in the week um and I l- largely agreed with what um you and Enda had to say um I think again if you just kind of look at the and everything that you just described there fits with um you know kind of the statistical breakdown that I looked at and you know, if you look at kind of the race chart of um, 
XG, for example, it was pretty much a coin flip game up until about the 55th minute. Um, so you're right. After that point, and particularly, you know, when the subs come on, this is a something we've talked about forever now. It's it's almost unfair with the five subs um, with the depth that we have relative to um, and the, and the, and the and the time. And the time, by yeah. the way, if we're, going to, if we're going to start playing real time, that's yeah. a bit, that's going to be hugely beneficial to Celtic. They want the ball in play, better players. You want the ball fitter players. You want the ball in play more, more. Yeah, yeah. It just it, it increases our chances of um, even more dominance in in theory. Um, and you know, th- this goes back. Th- the only real observation I had uh, is more of a uh, esoteric one. Um, that that I thought to maybe add from what your conversation was earlier in the week is it goes back to this, you know, coming out of that game, I listened to a lot of different conversations on, uh, you know, BBC Scotland and other characterizations of the game. And generally speaking, I would say that the narrative was how much, you know, Aberdeen gave it a go, um, relatively complimentary, continuing this narrative of Robson from last season, which again, generally uh you know someone that i'd like to see do well um you know kind of biased in that direction but this goes back to you know we've talked about this before um you know that when when you take that game and kind of distill it down to chance creation it was not dissimilar to us versus a real madrid right when you think about it from a you know they they basically gave us two and a half xg in 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 chance creation I shouldn't gave us, we, you know, we, we created that much. They, the way they played enabled that to happen. Um, and, and meaning that they didn't bunker, they didn't park the bus. They didn't, you know, just play on the counter, which again, they get plaudits for, but ultimately over the full, you know, probably approaching a hundred minutes now in a game with five subs, we're just going to rip teams apart to do this. So if you put the, you know, the broader context of this is that, you know, you could argue, our manager got the tactics wrong to begin with, right? Just based off of what you just described. To his credit, probably got it right in the second half, made the adjustment. That's all all positive. Um, for the first 50 to 55 minutes, it was basically a coin flip. Um, we played pretty poorly, I would say, even within the context of the tactics maybe not being great, meaning guys were giving the ball away. And, you know, it was just kind of a helter-skelter kind of a game up until – um, we really took a foothold. So generally speaking, I would characterize that game as one where most things broke in Aberdeen's way for the most part, and we still beat them 3-1, and we still got 2.5 in XG. Th- this is why I keep saying, like, over time, for teams to do that against us, even at home, the vast majority of the time, you know, it's like us going trying to go toe-to-toe with Real Madrid. It- it's just maybe once out of... 50 games, you'll get a result playing that way. But generally speaking, to me, it's just kind of ludicrous. Um, uh, and, and I and I get, like, I get the cultural aspect as far as, you know, having a go, so to speak, and not bunkering. But, you know, to me, it's just, a, it's such an, a, a, an interesting dichotomy and narrative relative to the Goodwin performance where they lost 1-0 and were very close to getting a draw. First, and he was absolutely slaughtered for that game versus this game with Robson where, you know, maybe on another day they get a draw, but for the most part, probably not. I mean, um, so it's just, to me, they're not that different types of games. And if you play each of them a hundred times, I'd argue the good one path is way more likely to get them points. Um, 
and, and uh, you know, I, I actually like, I'm not critical of Robson in the sense that this early in the season, like it's probably chalked up as a loss for the most part. I mean, pro- probabilistically, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't think that way and you don't go into a game as a competitor thinking you're going to lose, but if you're trying to set the, the culture of a team and, you know, there's other objectives here as far as longer term objectives as as a, as a coach and a manager that I could um, empathize with. But to me, it was just another example of a, a, a team against us domestically that, you know, try to go toe to toe with us to a degree. And, you know, we'll see more of that on Sunday. I suspect Sunday we're, we're going to see a team that's not going to do that. <laughs> so this is going to be like yeah, so- the first two games, Ross County yeah. and, and, and Aberdeen have pretty much played pretty open. Um, and I suspect uh, Mr. McKinnis may not uh, be as aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we'll get into Kilmarnock in a, in a bit. But I think so. Just again, in, this, in the interest of balance, I've, I've made my my McGregor amends. I'm, I'm going to slightly make my Barry Robson amends. I think we were a little bit quizzical about Barry Robson's capabilities before the game. I thought the I thought credit said, listen, it was a, I thought it was a really exciting game of football, especially in the first half, in terms of. You know, if, you, if you were a neutral watching it, it would have been a terrific game of football, really. I think I think we controlled it pretty effectively in the second half. But um, I, and also, what I realised is that probably I think because of injury, I don't think he would have Devlin in the back three normally. Um, and I think Mackenzie's really a left back, not a centre back. And then they've got the new guy Rubizic, um, who looks like a pretty limited but no nonsense sort of central defender. He's just going to defend, right? And what I didn't, what what I didn't maybe appreciate is he was very limited, Robson, because none of those three players were good at passing the ball. None of them are really strong at distribution. So you know, immediately you're kind of limited as to what you can do with that in terms of getting the ball forward. And then you know, I thought, I thought that the lad on the left, Duncan, he did he did pretty well. Clarkson, as I said before, is a a good good player. Polvara actually surprised me, um, but he's I mean he's just so slow. I mean they they could have really hurt us on the break if he wasn't so slow. Um, but he looked, you know, he's got decent sort of technique. And the two strikers, I think, are excellent. They're really good, especially at SPFL level. So I, I thought they did pretty well, actually. But I, but I think we I think we made a rod for our own back. And, and, and to your point about the XG, I mean, using my model, I had both games, Ross County and us, at just around about 3XG, right? And and for, for the opposition, around about 1. So 3-1 on XG, both games. Now, this is that's really interesting because... That's what we thought Angebol was going to be like. We were told Angebol was going to be, oh, you're going to create tons of chances. 3XG, it's like, that's, you know, if you average 3XG, that's, that's pretty remarkable over, over a long sample. But, you know, at the other end, you're not even, you're not even, you're not even getting to, um, you're not even keeping them to, to 1XG. It's actually going over that. That's exactly what Angebol was supposed to be. And it actually was like Angebol when he, in the first sort of two months that he was arrived, here. Yep. So, we're, yep. so, we're, so we're actually going back to, the chaos a little bit of the games that we had when we first uh, were under Ange, which is fascinating. Um, but, you know, but what happened with under Ange ball is that we just, over time, we gradually strangled the opposition such that Celtic maintained two and a half to three XG per game. But the oppositions went down to like 0.6 and 0.5 at times. It was just like, you, you know, you, you, you're never going to score uh, consistently uh, on, on that basis. So, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, as I say, I was torn on, on on one side as a football fan. I thought it was a terrific game of football. We won three one. It's a tough place to go. Yep. I thought they were a good side. I think they're going to take a lot of points at home over the season. So I thought it was a great win with my analyst head on and sort of 
looking at it from a sort of benchmarking perspective versus last year, I was like, oh my God, we're so open. Look at all these chances we're creating and all that. And that's what I was kind of fixating on when I was watching games. Well, both these things can still be true, (laughs) but we're here here to to do the latter, to focus on the latter, to be fair. So we've we've, we've done that. But yeah, I just thought it was fascinating that we've almost out out Ange Ball uh, under Rodgers in the (laughs) first two games. So fascinating to see how that goes. Yeah, that that and that's this goes back to um you know again just from a probability perspective if we concede in that kind of 1 plus range um that introduces the opportunity of these weird games where you know you drop points even though you dominate you know that you're you're talking about you know you can get three or four decent quality chances from the opposition kind of wedged within that and you know you saw that in in um the game against Aberdeen I mean if Shinny scores on that header which wouldn't have been a crazy you know scenario that was a pretty open um you know opportunity head on the header um and you know Hart was basically a half yard away from maybe getting a red card right so that's when when you allow those kind of um that amount of chances that, that that's what made the the Ange ball era once he settled in kind of post window or into the in the autumn of his first season that he just we just squeezed teams to the point where they almost got nothing other than maybe a set piece or two or you know a couple of shots from outside the box was you know uh the the, the chances of them scoring are just so minute uh, game to game um and you know you saw that to some degree uh, and and that's what made the you know Rodgers first season so kind of you know, miraculous is is to, to be able to go undefeated is because you just get and there were games in there where you kind of get a little bit of the the luck and you have to in order to not drop points uh, to any significant degree over over that length of time. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. It'll, it'll be interesting, I, and I suspect you know to, to your point. I mean, um, R- Rogers is apt to make changes, and um, we're probably we talked about this recently about you know he's probably still in the period of experimentation and kind of figuring out how he wants to do things. And that's the nice part is, you know, we kind of have this buffer of, um, you know, dominance that we can uh, afford to, those opportunities to do that and still hopefully not drop points um, like some other teams have. So, uh, well, let's transition. We, we've got some news here coming out of uh, the week. We've got um, some some impacts on the defensive line at the center back position, both from a, uh, a new signing that was formalized, a contract extension, now some uh, a double barrel injury news <laughs> in the back line, um, and quite a bit of injury news, unfortunately, this week, uh, which I actually tweeted about. It's quite you know upsetting uh, to a degree for me, anyway. Um, so, w- w- what are your thoughts on on? Lager Bilk signing, if you have any, and then um, the, the the Welsh extension. Uh, knowing that it looks sure. like, well, I saw I saw a picture on on Twitter. He's in a boot. I don't know what that means, but uh, I think Roger said he got a knock in training. At, um, hopefully, it's not too bad. But um, add it to the list with I, I think Carter Vickers with a hamstring now. So um, we're going to need Lager Bilk, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, so lots to unpack there. Uh, yeah, look, it looks like. You know, Welsh has signed a new contract, and then in the tra- next training session, he's ended up in a boot in hospital, which Rogers described in the press conference as a knock, which is gilding the lily a little bit by the looks of it. Now we don't know what the issue is, we don't know how serious it is, but the chances of him playing on Sunday look very, uh, very bleak. Um, just on Welsh, then, so 
you know, as I said on on the week there, um, so my personal view, looking at it through a what's the best thing for Celtic lens, is assuming that Lagerbilka was going to sign, and that left us with Navrotsky, Carter Vickers, and, and uh, Lagerbilka. To me, if we kept Stephen Welsh, to me that's that's a good four centre backs, and I was happy with that. I think Welsh is perfect for that role. I don't. I think he's pretty consistent when he does play, and he's asked to step in. He seems to be able to step in without um, much kind of um, settling in period. He seems to hit the ground running pretty quickly. He did. He did. He came on at half time against Aberdeen, and he was, you know, as I say, much better, a much more solid defensive performance from Celtic in that second half. Um, so I, I, I was, I was really happy with it. I just don't think it makes any sense for Stephen Welsh is really where I'm coming from, which is you know, maybe not for me to say, it's just my opinion. I mean, 23-year-old, a guy who I think is good enough. I mean, centre-half is a position that the Scotland national team is very weak in. Um, if, you know, uh, Clark often plays three at the back. To me, Welsh would be perfect for, this, for the right-hand side of a three. I think that's probably his ideal defensive position. He's not necessarily the relied upon, therefore, to be the lead clearer out of headers and marker of big lumps. And he's good on the ball. So if you get the ball to him, he can distribute well from that sort of inside right position at the back. And he's not over and he's quick enough that he can cover. So I think Welsh is good enough that if you were playing for a team other than Celtic and playing every week at a good level, and as I say, previously there'd been rumours from he was a sort of player that because he is he's the sort of centre back that is more attractive to leagues where they play more football than he is to a league like Scotland where it's hoof it up to the big lad because he's not a particularly large guy he's not particularly dominant in the air and that's what people fixate on but actually he's a good footballer so you know a French French league Italian league you know he, he's the sort of centre back they want he's they don't worry to fixate too much about his height. Is he mobile? Can he pass the ball? Can he progress the ball? He can do all those things. So you know, the thought of Stephen Welsh playing in a sort of mid-table, you know, French league team or Italian Serie A team—that um, to me, you know, sounds like a great way for him to build his career, get into the Scotland national team, and, and really push on individually. So I'm kind of surprised from his perspective. He's obviously bought whatever it is Rogers is selling, and that's—I think—that's great for Celtic. I just don't see how it's great for Stephen Welsh, but I'm not Stephen Welsh. Yeah, I, I think, uh, so I agree with everything that you said. Um, I think the interesting part will be, uh, so Rogers has had a history of playing three at the back, um, you know, for, for significant periods of time. I wouldn't say a, a primary um, shape that he's used, but he, you know, we've even talked about the, the Lustig role during his first tenure as that being, you know, in possession versus out of possession type of thing. And we effectively played three at the back in possession in, in attack with, with Lustig as kind of the right center back at times. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with you. Like, we've talked about this for a couple of years now that, you know, Welsh really profiles as um, a right center back and a back three. So I wonder how much, um, you know, and, and Rogers talked about the prioritization of flexibility. Uh, so I think, you know, between him and Awada, we've got two players that really do profile as a right center back um, in a back three. And, um, you know, now with Navrosky, uh, you know, Carter Vickers profiles very well as that kind of central. And I think Legerbilk 
lager book. I don't know. Um, we need Enda for his linguistic talent. Um, he, he profiles as that kind of center of a three. I can, I can help you with that one. He pronounces it Lee um scales. He pronounces it <laughs> Lee um scales. That's how Lee um scales. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, is he, he does profile as kind of a, you know, middle of a back three, him, him and Carter Vickers, man, they're really rock solid. Uh, he's a bigger guy. I think he'll get better in the air. He's, he's already proficient in the air, I would say, from what I've seen. Um, but he's one of these more, you know, I, I think he's less of a ball player center half than like a just good old defender like that. He's very aggressive from what I've seen and that kind of that, that doesn't mean that he's a, a donkey on the ball. But, you know, if, if you balance relative strengths and weaknesses, I think it seems like he's more of like a big physical, tough center back. Um, and Navrosky. I think would suit fine as a ball playing left-sided because he's more two-footed and, you know, carries the ball at pace. So if you think about that from a back three perspective, you know, if you have a Wada and or Welsh on the right, Carter Vickers and Lagerbilk in the center, and then you got Navrosky on the left, um, that's, you know, uh, you've got two flanks with mobile uh, ball progression type center backs that are at least good enough uh, in the air proficiently domestically, but, you know, I, I wonder how much of this might have an eye towards Europe. Um, and, and, you know, what, what the game plan might be as we, uh, you know, head towards having more defensive solidity, uh, heading into the champions league. Um, so within that context, you know, we've talked about two homegrown player, uh, coming out of the, the academy. That's a huge, you know, issue, um, that, that this would address as well. So, yeah, I, I am actually a big fan of, the signing, you know, the extension. Um, but I also agree with you, like, yeah, and you never know. He's, we always talk about these guys are humans. Maybe he's got a partner and maybe he's settled and not the type of person that wants to move away, yeah. you know, fair of course, enough. Of um, yeah. So that's a huge life change to go live in another country and disrupt all of these things. So maybe, maybe he's happy where he's at and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so yeah, I, I hope he's okay. I hope it's not too, um, serious of an injury. I think generally good news for Celtic um, that, that he's decided to stay. Uh, but that, that highlights this uh, a burgeoning issue. And we've, we talked about this as a, a concern heading into uh, the second chapter of uh, a Rogers era, which is that the injury bug is making a, uh, uh, a return trip along with Mr. Rogers, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And and now we've got, you know, we've got, I think, O out with a calf. Um, Carter Vickers, it sounds like a hamstring. Uh, Hatate out with a calf, it sounds like. Um, you know, Welsh, sound, that sad doesn't sound like a, a, a muscle injury, or at least a boot wouldn't suggest that. Um, more of an impact injury or something like that. Um, and obviously, you know, other guys inherited with Johnson coming back. Uh, Tilio was already hurt. Um so, but we, so you know, it's important not to overstate this. Um, but I, you know, we we talk about this issue. He's had soft tissue injury problems. Celtic have had soft tissue injury problems in the past, and you know, for them to start kind of cropping up very early already in the summer, I think is is um, is concerning. So, what 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 are your thoughts on the injury bug already uh, showing up at, at Lennox Town? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely concerning, and like you say, it's um, it tends to be it tends to it tends to be a compounding uh, factor here as well. So, well, first of all, 
I think it's too early to start, you know, saying that, oh, Rogers is back, therefore the injuries have gone up and making that sort of correlation. I think it's it's unfortunate. But what, what I, you know, cause I've, something I've studied you know, you know, quite a lot back to when he was manager at Liverpool, and, and the number of injuries tended to ramp up over over time, over seasons, really. So it wasn't an immediate thing. It's something that happened at Liverpool over time and then happened at Celtic over time, and then I think happened at Leicester over time as well. So it was more of an accumulation of quite intense training methods and maybe, you know, attitudes to risk as far as player welfare. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit there because that's, that's quite a you know, serious thing to say. So I'm, I'm just speculating. That's not, that's not, I don't know that. Right. But, you know, you follow the data. Those are the trends is what I'm saying. Why would that happen? Well, here's one reason, possibly. Might not be the right reason. Might be, it'll be likely be many reasons. So I think it's just I think at the moment it's just unfortunate is what I'm saying. But what 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 I was going to go on to say is that sort of compounding nature of things. So you're without your best right back, so Rolston gets thrown in. Um, Carter Vickers, you know, so you, you, you're feeling a bit anxious about that. You've got a new centre back. He's suddenly having to play, and Carter Vickers is kind of ready, but is he ready? And do you put him back in a little bit too soon because you know, you've not got your first choice right back and you've got this new guy stood behind him? And by the way, we are looking for a left back, so I'm not really sure about him either. So let's get the big guy back. All, I'm not saying that's, that was what happened, but you can see, you know, you know the the sort of um, the thought processes. We all know how football works. We all know how kind of venal and um, short termist football is. You know, Rogers loses his first two games. Suddenly, he's under massive pressure, right? So you throw Carter Vickers in. Oh, and he gets a hamstring injury. Is that unlucky? Um, well, what were the risk factors? You know, how likely was it that that was going to happen? Did maybe did they know that Aberdeen weren't going to watch the grass and it was going to be like playing at rugby park? <laughs> I mean, you know, all those things, right? It, and so, you know, there's a, there's probably a little bit of decision making, risks, management weaknesses potentially, and there's probably a big dollop of bad luck here because, like you say. Tilio, that's bad luck. Johnson was inherited. Oh, we don't know what that was in pre-season, right? Pre-season game. I think you actually got quite a severe. I think it was a severe challenge actually. So that was bad luck. It looks like the Welsh one was bad luck, etc., um, etc. Et I mean, there's so many. Like you, I think you you reeled them off already, right? So and then as I say, the compounding impact is well, I don't have my right first choice this, so I'm going to bring you back a bit quicker than I should have done, etc. And on all mushrooms. This is what happens. So I think we should be very careful. Uh, I think we're already we're already looking like we're going to have to throw Lagerbilka in now. He's what three quarters of the way through his season in Sweden. So yep. in 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 essence, it shouldn't be a risk putting him in. He's he's game ready. He's played played most of a season already in Sweden. So that shouldn't be a risk. But other than just that, you know, how much more intense is the Scottish game versus the Swedish game? Probably a little bit faster. Probably a little bit more physical. So. Again, risk factors. How significant is that? Rugby Park. How many? You know, I suspect in Sweden he probably used to playing on Astro, uh, etc. But oh, uh, not that Astro. Not, Astro. <laughs> not that Astro, no. So yeah, listen. I, I am concerned. I am worried. It's something I always worry about. I do sort of study it, um, but I, I think it's too early to be, you know, hanging the noose round Rogers on that one at this stage of the season for sure. Yeah, and I, 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 um, I think that's a reasonable position. I, I don't share it. I mean, I'm a lot more, um, I'm less charitable 
and and the reason why I'm less charitable and well, right? <laughs> well, right. But I, you know, again, I, I, I'm still, um, I, I think I actually rewatched it this week cause I was so annoyed with these injuries cropping up again. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm having a, a bias confirmed and, um, maybe I'm being, I'm leaning towards being uh, less charitable than I should be, but I, I went back and watched, um, the portion of the, uh, uh, Kieran Tierney appearance on open goal back from August of 2020. Um, and basically if you go back and just watch that interview, the section where he recounts his season, his last season at Celtic and he almost painstakingly chronicles his injury path. I, I, I don't think you can come away from listening to that, him recount that period um, and not have a serious problem with how his situation was handled um, to the point where like, if I was his father, I would have been, I would have went berserk. I mean, the, 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 the guy's career was put at risk um, for, you know, for, to go play against Hibs in a, in a league that we were well ahead in, you know what I mean? Like it, this was not a one-off cup final. This was, um, you know, months and months and months of, cumulative damage being done to a young man's body to the point where it took 18 months of rest for him to get even back to close to healthy. Right. So that, that's a level of, you know, I would, I I consider negligence. Um. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently. I asked Mint Mobile's legal team, if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation, they said, yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, the, the, and that occurred under Roger's tenure and then into Lennon's tenure. Um, you know, there was, there was talk of that and, and, uh, tyranny in the interview even recounts the specific uh, hip condition that he had, that Rogic had had it, and Rogic had said to him, "Don't take the painkillers. They're gonna, you know, tell them you can't play, because uh, this is like a career threatening." He 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 uh, recounts in the interview how Johnny Hayes told him that Hayes knew several, you know, multiple players that careers ended because of this injury. Um, um, so th- th- this is something that went on for quite a while at, at Celtic and, you know, it's what we talked about under Ange, the, the, the fact that Kyogo played on a hamstring injury, you know, at St. Johnston, which again, if we can't win without our top striker at St. Johnston, um, why are you playing your, you know, your, probably your best player on a bad hamstring risking injury? which ended up in a ruptured hamstring and him out for three, four months, right? So th- this is the pattern that I, th- this is why I have less 
charitable? Is it to me? It seems institutional. It seems cultural. There's a, a pattern of behavior here and decision making that's been, you know, I think borderline, you know, ridiculous at times. Um, so that that's the context. So I, I, you're right. All of these, you know, I, I, I might be overdoing it relative to these these early because um, it's you know it's preseason that kind of thing. But again, there was reporting done that the club had adopted software that is supposed to help with this. And the fact that they continue to have soft tissue injury problems suggests they're either not using it properly or they've stopped using it for whatever reason um, or the software doesn't work, which, again, I you know suspect that's not the case because there's a lot of clubs that are using it and seeing their injury rates plummet. Um, so that, that's kind of the backdrop. That's why I'm, I'm like probably a, uh, a, a cat ready to pounce <laughs> on the, on the situation and maybe unfairly. Uh, so I, I hope that it gets better. Um, but that, that's, you know, the, the context as to why I'm, I'm probably more skeptical and, and, um, have this, because again, I, I think of this from a risk management perspective, right? So I've talked about this before is that when you layer risks on top of each other, these things tend to be nonlinear when they kick in. Um, and, and it's, as you described, Alan, it, there, there's cascading effects here where, you know, you, you get guys that are out injured and then the people that are left that have to fill in, they don't get the rest maybe they need. And you get, and that's what happened under Ange early is that the squad was so thin that he flogged guys like David Turnbull to the point where he tore yeah, his Turnbull hamstring. Was driven to the point of yeah, breaking right. basically. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, these things, if, if they're not managed kind of systematically and responsibly, can kind of get out of control and that we're already so, so this goes back to lager book right so you know in a grand scheme of things is sunday's game it, like if we get knocked out of the league cup would that be calamitous probably not you know given our fixture list and you know it's kind of the the least of the trophies and um you know that kind of thing i, I you know I, i'm not gonna be happy about it but in the grand scheme of things over the arc of time is that would that be a calamity probably not um but this is a guy so again i looked at his profile when 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 he he has not played in like a technical short passing building out from the back team so and and his profile suggests that that might be a weakness actually is kind of intricate short passing and you know press resistance that kind of thing Mm. um so he's going to get thrown into this cauldron a crap pitch (laughs) Uh, he, you're right. He's three, three quarters of the way through a season, but not playing in any way that's similar to what he's probably going to be asked to do under Brendan Rodgers, unless we just go long and then maybe we will, <laughs> um, uh, you know, maybe that might be the solution as, as, uh, but that's the kind of risk. Now he's getting thrown in because of an injury. Um, and if he has a walloper kind of game and I'm not saying he is, but it, you know, it wouldn't be outside the bounds of, 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 uh, possibility that, you know, he has, he has a rough first game in these circumstances, you know, now all of a sudden the guy's off to a rough start and, you know, it, it's easy. They kind of pile up as the potential of, of the risk. So I just wanted to lay that out there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, you're, you're talking if, if Carter Vickers is out a month, um, Hatate's out a month. I mean, that, that potentially puts the first Darby at risk um, and maybe even early in the, in the championship uh, champion, champion, champions league, uh, uh, campaign. So yeah, de- definitely, definitely concerning news so far. Um, let's, let's move on to the, um, the rumor mill, 
because uh, that's that's always the fun part. People talking about the the, the recruitment, um, uh, who's coming, who's going, who's not. So there's been talk of the the Wolves winger. Um, I think the fullback from Nantes. There's my French again. Uh, Merlin, I think the the wizard, the wizard at left back. Uh, so what, what, what are your thoughts on, on those rumors so far? Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like there's a little bit of something in, in both of these, but again, you know, Celtic probably have got lists of players and if somebody gets wind that someone's on a list, it becomes, you know, a, a big story and it might just be, you know, some, you know, Celtic are probably any one time monitoring a lot of players, right? doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sign them. So, you know, let's see what happens. I think, you know, what we can take from it more than the individuals is, you know, if if there's something in it, I tend to think, well, what's the profile of that player? And obviously what position are they playing? And what's the profile of that player? Because even if nothing comes of it from a recruitment perspective, it's probably there's a little bit of insight there as to the way the club are thinking about how they need to strengthen. So if we are indeed looking for a left back, then, tick that's a good thing for, for as far as I'm concerned if we are looking for another wide attacking player then what that says to me is that Rogers probably sees Maeda as his second striker and that he thinks he needs to backfill on the on the wide areas and that therefore you know Maeda Kyogo and Ano are essentially his three for one in the striking position and therefore he needs to bolster Another another body on uh, on a more uh, wide. Although I think Podens can play potentially as a, anywhere across the sort of attacking midfield roles. Fair enough, but he's you know Maida wouldn't play as a ten. But I, I still think I still, still come to the, to the same conclusion. I wouldn't see Podens as a he's not a, he's not a box to box midfielder, for example. So are we looking for a left back? If, if, if we are, it seems like we are. So that's great. Will it be Merlin? I don't know. Are we looking for a wide player? Looks like we are. What does that mean? Probably means that Maida's going to be seen more as a striker. Um, and then there seems to be an absence of box-to-box athletic midfielders, which I'll keep banging on about. And it's you know gone very quiet on the goalkeeping front as well, which, um, again, I, I was under the, under the impression that perhaps that was a position that we were, we were looking for. So is it realistic? I've, I've kind of outlined four. Well, I think we need four starters, basically, in the positions that I've just outlined to come in, is that likely in the next sort of 12 to 13 days, two weeks? Probably not. Um, you know, and we've got to get a lot of people out the door. You know, we've still got this burgeoning squad. We've still got, um, you know, if I look at my little squad list highlighted, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players, really. that are realistic. They're in the first team squad and they're, they're not going to play. And that would take you down to 25. So even if you got rid of those seven, you still have 25. So it feels like there's an awful lot of work to do for me. Um, I think we need four starters. I think they're in the positions that I've outlined. It looks like there's activity in two of those. It's gone quiet on the other two. So I'm getting a little bit, a little bit impatient now, I suppose, a little bit concerned. Yeah. We've been but again, let's, 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 sorry, just, just, I mean, just to sort of last point on the, on the whole sort of transfer window thing. I think it was on the on the Celtic Underground pod last night. It was stated that, you know, like for example, we talked about Kieran Tierney. That's that that rumor has never been put to bed. That rumor has never died and never gone away, right? And as as unlikely as it might sound to you or I, that's something which has never never gone away. And it was mentioned on that podcast last night. Um, and if you think about it, 
I suspect Tierney's, if we just want to indulge that that one for a while, I, but I'm using this to illustrate the point about the transfer window. A player like Tierney, you know, he was apparently interested in Newcastle. Well, it looks like that door is closed. But there's other clubs. Sociedad were mentioned. Some other club, I can't even remember the name, was mentioned. Leipzig were mentioned, right? So will that door open for him? I don't know. There's probably a lot of moving parts for all those clubs looking at all sorts of players. They're probably, they might have to sell before they can buy. There's budgetary considerations. This is why a lot of these deals don't get done to like the last couple of yeah. days or, or hours of the transfer window because there's so many things stacked up. A bit like you know, buying a house. If you're in a chain, you know a lot of these things don't get resolved until they absolutely have to get resolved because the time's running out. Um, and all that. So if there is anything in that particular tyranny runner, that's one that you could see going to the absolute last limit where Arsenal are like, right, we have to get rid of this guy. We have to get him off the wage bill because of FFP, because of our squad size, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Tierney's people are like, well, we're not going to play at Arsenal. We have to move. Otherwise, you're not going to play football. At least for six months, you're going to be sat twiddling your thumbs, training with the youth team or whatever, right? So that, that, that comes to a head right near the end of the window. So... Based, you know, if we are looking at those sort of players, if we're looking in top, top five leagues for players that are on the fringes of squads and very good teams, and they're not quite sure how it's going to pan out, and you know, Arsenal already had an injury to the to their fullback Timber right. that they brought Just, in. Yeah. That doesn't yep. seem to have changed uh, Tierney's position or situation, but they've lost Zinchenko and they've lost Timber, who can play anywhere across the back. What if they lose their left back on whoever plays left back on Saturday? Does Tierney yep. come back in? He probably does. Right, so yep. there's loads of loads of moving parts here, all sorts of things. And if you, and the better player that you're going for, the more moving parts there are. And a Celtic, and this is maybe maybe me being naive, but if Celtic are in the market for top players off the caliber of Tierney, then there's going to be an awful lot of moving parts involved in those deals. And we might have to wait until the very last mashings of the transfer window, like we did, to extract Jota from Benfica, and you know it was obvious that Carter Vickers wasn't going to go back on loan to another championship team. And actually, you know, we, we could, we could take him instead. That, that all took to the last day of the window before those things were resolved. So, you know, again, I keep saying be patient. I'm being less patient, but that's the way I, I guess I try and rationalize it for myself at the moment. Yeah, I guess that's everything uh, is logical. And this is the part of, you know, as the clock ticks, the uh, the relative proportionality of the rational part of the brain versus the irrational part starts to recalibrate, and um, you know we get more nervous. And I, I share that. And some, I guess, some of it is, and again, t- total um, total uh, naivete and um, ignorance on my part. Like, what's the bandwidth? Like, I, you know, when you get down to it, and it, the clock's ticking, and we're in the market for, let's say, even though, hypothetically, like we get our mutual dream which was those four positions and they're shopping in that tier of player for all four is it even practical that they could do that within 24 hours or 36 hours at the end of the window like i have no clue maybe it is um you know but <laughs> the longer we go uh the the, the more that anxiety and, and the irrational and the, the the lack of knowledge um uh, and, and any sense of what what a reasonable expectation would be, um, you know, starts to overwhelm. Uh, but that, yeah, I, you know, I, I think what's interesting is that the the profiles of the players, and I 
I don't I don't have a a strong um uh, a strong um opposition to a, a player of uh Potence's profile. I mean, I think he's like 27. Um you know, if they were to pay 8 10 million for him, um you know, I is it ideal? Probably not from my perspective, but you're 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 the risk profile of that player is going to be very low. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting. Uh, the resale is probably not going to be great. So that, you know, we've talked about this within the context of this season being so important. So I'd be fine with it. Um, you know, my preference would be if he was, you know, maybe 22, 23, but um, to, to, to outlay that kind of money. But, um, you know, and Merlin, I think, is closer to that window. He's in that kind of early 20s, uh, w- would fit kind of more of the traditional um, – Profile, so yeah, I, I think P- Podens would be an, a kind of an obvious, you know, Rogers si- kind of signing, meaning you know, be, be able to hit the ground running, high impact, of a level and a quality that's reliable, uh, and make a material, you know, upgrade in in quality, probably even above and beyond Jota. I would kind of be my argument um, from an athleticism. I mean, that, he seems to me to have that kind of you know, Premier League speed. <laughs> um, he's, on, he's, he's like five foot five. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, again, we're, 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 we're yeah. probably not going to get uh, the, the 6'2 version of that speed uh, for the amount yeah, of money. Yeah, that we're yeah, gonna spend. Yeah. yeah, especially at that yeah, age. Um, but yeah, so I, he, he kind of fills that gap of, you know, bringing that level of power and, and pace, maybe not the size, but um, for that position, I think it's probably less of an issue. Um, so yeah, that, that that would be a very interesting signing uh, to me, and um, but I I find it encouraging that those are the kind of names that are being bandied about because again it it aligns with what we've talked about in recent weeks, which is that this likely would take time towards the end of the window. That a lot of this anxiety was probably you know o- overbearing um, relative to the the reality of the situation. So nothing's really changed that other than the clock sticking and that we're being nervous, Nellies. So uh, let's look towards uh, the cup game then. Um, I think we, we talked about it, uh, you know, after the first weekend and Rangers going in there and losing. Um, is it, you know, McInnes has put together more of a traditional McInnes type of team um, and, and probably done it in a pretty, a pretty effective way. They gave, um, I think, who was it, Aberdeen? They gave, no, who was it they just played? So they go to nil-nil. Hearts, nil, hearts yeah. Yeah, they gave Hearts the uh, you know a pretty pretty good uh, match, and um, you know so I, I suspect, and I had mentioned this after because I did watch that first game, and they uh, when they when they beat Rangers, and um, suspected that they were going to have, uh, particularly at Kilmarnock, were going to give a lot of people headaches uh, because of you know uh, the profile of players that they have, the athleticism and size, and um, so yeah, th- I think this is going to be a good test. Uh, going into to Sunday, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, very very interesting team. Um, I was actually, I was actually a little bit even more impressed with their draw at Hearts <laughs> than I was with their performance on the first day because, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Rangers had a lot of new new players in for sure. Um, I was stunned at how poor all their forward players are that they've they've acquired for apparently huge amounts of money. Um, whereas Hearts, if you saw them last night, I mean, Boyce and Shankland. Now, I think Boyce only played 30 minutes against Kilmarnock, so yeah. they didn't, and he's obviously come back from a long injury. 
Um, so you know, Kilmarnock didn't get the full the full full exposure to that front pairing, or you know, one sits kind of behind the other. Um, but but you know, Hearts looked a danger. I thought Hearts looked really good last night. I watched them against Rosenberg, and uh, it had all the helter skelter energy that you'd expect. You know, a lot of flying into tackles and you know, charging around the pitch and all that stuff that you'd, you'd expect from a Hearts team at home. But, you know, there's, there's decent quality there, and especially up front. Up front, they're actually they're terrific. Um, as I say, Boyce and Shankland, I think, together are really clever, clever players. Um, and they've got some good energy with the, the Oda and another Japanese lad, Tagawa, Ta- Tagawa, I think they've signed. Um, and, you know, they've got a lot of elite youthful, they've got a bit of youthful legs that you're cochrane puts in a good shift, etc., and they've got pretty solid sort of back line. So Hearts are a decent team, and Kilmarnock actually got did you know put up a good account of themselves and getting a draw there. So this this won't be easy. I mean, what the thing that struck struck up struck me in the first two games is I've started to track um, the number of passes played in each half, which is might sound an obvious thing, but it's not something I've kind of been able to get access to before. But it, I think. Um, uh, sofa score actually make it available now and what is interesting and it's only two games obviously but is that the team with the highest proportion of their passes play in opposition half meaning you know let's say you play 100 passes your team's played 100 passes right off those 100 passes Kilmarnock play 67 of them in, in your half and, and only 20, uh, 33 in their own half meaning they try and play all their football in the it's close to your goal and they don't play any football <laughs> near their own goal. Whereas if you flip that round, Celtic are, are almost the opposite. They, they they have the most passes in their own half um, as a proportion um, less in, in the opposition half. But obviously Celtic are making far more passes in total. So Celtic will make far more passes in Kilmarnock's half than Kilmarnock will in Celtic's half, but the proportionality will, will, be, will, will be the opposite is what I'm trying to say. So what does that mean? It means that they're going to get the ball forward very quickly and they're going to try and then to, to, to hunt in packs because they, they've not actually got big lumping centre. I think, well, they do. Vassal's still there. But so far, they've played Watkins and Kennedy. Well, Kennedy's really a winger. Um, and if you've been watching the, uh, you know, the Women's World Cup, sort of, you know, England's Laura Hemp, who's traditionally a winger, it's been played as almost as a sort of second striker and have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, I'm not saying Kennedy's as good as Laura Hemp, but he's not. But... Um, you know, it's that similar thing of you, you suddenly got a very mobile player uh, playing as a striker, and then Watkins, who's a he's a grafter, right? He'll run the channels all day long. You'll bash into people. You know, you'll you'll, you'll be a nuisance. And that's they've got kind of two nuisances up front that will run and run and run and hassle and harry. And then they've got a pretty solid backline. You know, Lewis Mayo looks a good young player. Um, Finlay and Dees were both young Celtic players, and they've kind of matured into good solid sort of defenders, and then you've got sort of Armstrong as their kind of box of tricks, their, their kind of little bit of unpredictability, and then, you know, the midfield's pretty sort of workmanlike otherwise. So they're going to, they're, they're, you know, like you say, I think they look very coherent against uh, against the Rangers on opening day, which, you know, to bed the myth that if you make lots of changes, you can't be coherent, apparently, you know, we should all think that that's Mickey Beale's first game in charge because the rest don't count because he's got some new players. Um, so, so you know, McInnes did did a great job in assimilating a lot of new players and putting in. You know, it wasn't a great footballing performance in the sense of it was wonderful football. It was just an effective, coherent plan that he implemented. His team implemented it well. They were on the on the wrong end of XG, but it was a bit like 
think back to Neil Lennon's season where you sort of think, yeah, we generated one and a half XG. Well, yeah, but they generated nearly one. That's that's 0.5 of a difference. It allows too much room, yep, too much room for, yep. yeah, for, for what happened, which is you sent her back, you know, falls asleep when a long throw and comes in and it falls really nicely for a guy just to sweep the ball in. And then, you know, you know, suddenly their backs are up and you haven't got the, you haven't got the ability to kind of fight back from there. So hopefully they'll have a lot of games like that this season. And with the strikers they've got, uh, that may well happen. Uh, but anyway, back to Komarnik. Yeah. So that was my main kind of takeaway. I think, I think it was just, that's the thing that struck me about, about, about them. I mean, you've probably done a bit more of a deeper dive maybe, but it was just that, that they've got the highest ratio of passes in the opposition half, so that's going yeah. to be hard. They're not going to they're not going to fanny about at the bat. They're just going to get it into well, our half as quickly as possible. So this is this is why I actually get a little more nervous with this sort of an opponent, particularly um, on that pitch. You know, so it's it's I, I mentioned it last week. It's it's almost like an upgraded version of Livingston um, with McInnes managing at Kilmarnock, uh in the sense that. You know, one of the challenges we've had with Livingston is if it's just a matter of coherence and that and embracing uh, a style of play that enhances their competitive advantages of having that home pitch. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of what he has now. I mean, he's, he's they're not going to pretend to play it out from the back. So they're going to they're going to shell balls and play for second balls, which on a smaller pitch with that. You know, I'm sure they won't have watered it to the level that they maybe could have, um, that kind of thing. So it'll be bouncy and, um, you know, you know, chaos. It's basically like a chaos pitch. Um, and if you optimize your style of play for chaos and they've got guys like Armstrong, who has at least a burst of pace and a little bit of creativity, which, again, you know, one v one against somebody like Greg Taylor, we know who the pace of your player is going to be. Um, and they've, they've got athletes now to the point where, you know, when McKinnis does this kind of, um, man to man marking in midfield, you know, we're, we're kind of at a deficit right now in that regard, meaning that with Hatate out and, you know, we're probably going to get, um, one would think Turnbull. I mean, maybe we'll see home. That would kind of be a surprise selection maybe. Um, but that, that, you know, and it, this goes back to, I, w- I was talking about the logger bill you know, risk factors and I, and the benchmarking thing I did. So he was, he was the most active center back in the peer group that I looked at in his league uh, for duels. Um, but that would put him in like right around the midpoint of the Scottish league. Um, so that speaks to your point about the difference in, you know, the, the chaos and the hectic nature of the pace of play in Scotland relative to, uh, was it, he's come from Sweden or was it Norway? I forget, but Sweden, um, Elfsborg, Sweden, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, you take the normal conditions being completely different and then you throw them against a, a McInnes team on that pitch at Kilmarnock um, with us, maybe not having our most athletic midfield potentially <laughs> available. And again, you talk about the risk stacking, and is he going to just be able to walk in and play this style of play um, that's maybe a little different for him um, when he just signed? He's going to get, what, maybe two, two, three training sessions, um, maybe four b- before going into that. So that that's the kind of thing. Because I, you know, it, it, it's um, – this is a huge opportunity for Kolmarnik 
um, you know, to potentially knocks us out of a cup. You know, um, I mean, I mean, he's, 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 so he's going to get four more training sessions than Starfield got before he was thrown in against Hearts. Right. But, um, yeah. but, 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 you know, the good thing is, I would say, from a Celtic perspective, is we're not going to treat this as a like a midweek cup game between heavy league. You know, we, we're on a light schedule at the moment, one game a week. Yep. So this is going to be the strongest team. We, in fact, we need to play the strongest team because we need to get everybody more used to the system, more in tune with what Rogers wants the team to do, et cetera. So it's going to be the strongest team available. Um, you know, as I say, there's, there was a big a big up, uptick in security in the midfield when Hitati came on versus Turnbull because Turnbull's the one midfielder that we have that's, it's defensively even less active than Hatati. So Hatati, and just by holding his position, really helped out McGregor. Unfortunately, he's injured. So I'd be surprised if we went back to Hatati, frankly. Sorry, to Turnbull. Sorry, uh, frankly, I, I, I do. I do wonder if Holm, given his quite um, busy and uh, little cameo against Aberdeen, whether he might be a surprise inclusion as the sort of third midfielder. I would. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think the. I don't think the, the the pitch again. He's you know Norwegian. He's he's not going to be faced by an artificial pitch or anything like that. And so, yeah, that would be my I, I'm I'm gonna, that'd be my guess really is that we'll actually for the same reason as we were better in the second half against we're going to be playing again a team that's going to try and be quite direct, try and push on, isn't going to sit bunker back. I don't think. Um, therefore, I think the transition risk is there, and therefore for me the security would be in playing in playing home or Iwata even. Uh, although he doesn't seem to be in favor <laughs> at the moment. Well, uh, it, it uh, th- this is what we were looking for, Alan, which was um, a lot more uncertainty analytically heading into these games in the Rogers era. And I think we're, we're, we're careful what you wish for. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're we're definitely getting to enjoy it now. So I think Sunday, because um, I, I actually, I, I, I'm interested to see what McInnes does. Meaning that where does he end up on that dial as far as. Um, you know that that that's the 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 tantalizing aspect now, which is that because these two teams have had at least some success high pressing us, um, you know how many opposing managers decide to have a go with that for a period of time at least, uh, whether it's you know something that they can, um, you know, uh, enforce for or deploy for the full ninety minutes or 100 minutes, um, I think will be interesting. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. We're up to our hour for for the show. We've bloviated for far too long. Um, so as, as usual, we'll put in the uh, the part here where if you want to subscribe, uh, leave comments on on iTunes for us. Uh, uh, subscribe at uh, your, your podcast uh, distributor of, of uh, preference or on YouTube. We certainly appreciate it. It helps uh, grow the channel and pay for uh, Enda's private jet. Uh, as he's off gallivanting as as usual. Uh, so hope everyone enjoys the game on on Sunday, and uh, I'll talk to you next week, Alan.